John chapter 20, we'll start reading in verse number 19. Tonight, the title of the sermon is, very intellectual, very uh, proper English, and it is this. Being sent ain't the same as going. Being sent just ain't the same as going. John chapter 20, verse number 19, the Bible says, Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said, saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. You know, tonight we could ask the, the husband who's sitting in the car waiting for an evening on the town with his wife as he screams to the, to the bathroom, Honey, let's go! And she screams from the bathroom, I'm coming! We could ask him whether or not being sent is the same as going. We could ask the mother as she gets her children ready for school and she's got the backpacks ready to go, standing at the door. Kids, come on! Mom, we're coming! We could ask that mother whether or not being sent is actually the same as going. See, here in our text this evening, the Lord uh, greets His disciples, those in this room here, as they're meeting on the first day of the week. Uh, no doubt a wonderful event in their history as they see the resurrected Savior standing in front of them. And He looks at them and He says, Peace, but the most important part of what He says is this. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, please bless tonight as I preach. Help me, Lord, give me clarity of thought. Give me the ability to formulate exactly what your Scripture is saying and be able to uh, uh, explain that this evening and apply it to each life in here. Lord, where I fall short in those areas, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would take up the slack and do what I cannot, be effectual, and allow your word to cut, uh, as it says, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I'm depending on you tonight, I'm trusting in you, and I'm wholly leaning on you, Lord. I ask all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Verse 21 is no doubt the uh, focus of our passage tonight. Verse 21 says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now I have to be honest with you, as I began to study the message, the sermon thought was rather simple. I wasn't really trying to look into the Greek or understand what it meant, but as I began to study it, I remembered or I realized that the two words that Jesus uses here for sent are different words. Now, that surprised me, and I began to ask my wife, even as I studied, you see, I tell y'all that my wife sends me most of my sermons through email. You don't believe me, but it's true. She's standing in the kitchen working, and I say to Amy, I say, 
Honey, can you explain this to me? And I read her uh, what Strong's concordance said and explained a little bit to her. And she says, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I studied it out. So let me help you understand as I understand it this evening. Jesus said, as my Father sent me. The word sent there is the uh, Greek word apostolos. Now, it's the same exact word that we get the word apostles from. Now, that doesn't mean much to you unless you understand it as this. Apostolos means being set apart for the purpose of being sent. What we have to understand is Jesus Christ was set apart to be sent to this earth. The Bible actually tells us in the book of the Revelation that He was slain before the foundation of the world. God in eternity past knew Jesus would have to die. What's amazing to me is Jesus, as He stood out on the ledge of nothing, spoke everything into existence and created Adam and then saw that it was not good for man to be alone and then created Eve. He knew they would mess up. And it was as if He had already hung on Calvary's tree for them. He was set apart to be sent. It's the same exact word that the Bible uses to describe as Jesus selected His twelve disciples. He set them apart, the Bible says, and He ordained the twelve that they should be with Him and that He might send them forth to preach. The send there is apostello or apostolos, being set apart to be sent. Now we can say that Jesus was set apart to be sent to this world by the Father in heaven. But the second word, which is very applicable to you and I this evening, is this. Pempo. Pempo, and once again, that matters nothing to you unless you understand it as this. To dispatch or to send notice, especially on a temporary errand. As the Father hath set me apart and sent me, Now I give you this errand to perform for me. Jesus sent us. In fact, it's the exact same word that the rich man in hell looks over to Abraham and he says, Abraham, send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger and give me a drop of water. Send him over. Abraham begins to explain, even if that... Even if I wanted to, we could not. There's a great gulf fixed between us, and you can't come this way, and we can't go that way. We cannot get to you. You can't come to us. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. And you know what he says? Then send him to my brethren. The word send there used in both verses is the word to set, to send, or to dispatch for a temporary errand. Even Jesus understood the temporality of what He was asking us to do. He said, the night cometh when no man can work. What what was He meaning by that? He was meaning that the errand that we are to run was going to be very temporary. I was talking to Brother Butch Lindsay as we came into the service this evening, and I saw him limping, and I said, Brother Butch, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, Brother Andrew, this is an old injury that's flared up, and I tell you, my body's starting to, uh, 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 what, what was the term you used, Brother Butch? Yeah, my body is not regenerating, it's degenerating is what he said. He said, that's called getting old. And I said, well, Brother Butch, just hang on a little bit, maybe the rapture will happen, amen? I believe it's so, so close. 
And while preachers have been saying that for years, one day, and I hope I'm the preacher, because I'm going to look like a prophet. Jesus could come at any time, and then he comes. Boy, that would be a good day. What you have to understand is a lot of preachers have been right. Jesus could come at any time. And I've heard preachers say it like this. uh, Jesus is closer to coming now than he's ever been. You know what? They're all right. And one day one preacher is going to be preaching a revival meeting or a church service and Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night and He's going to steal His church away and His children away. I believe that with my whole heart. Jesus is coming again. It's only evidenced by His resurrection. And so, Jesus at His departure looks at His disciples and says, As my Father... Set me apart and sent me to you, even so I send you. The only difference is your occupation, your obligation is very temporary. It doesn't necessarily relieve us of the obligation of it. Don't use that as an excuse to focus on something else because Jesus used His entire ministry to focus on what the Father sent Him to do. So how are we supposed to respond? You see, there's too many passages in Scripture that says we are sent by Jesus, sent by God to just dismiss it. The question tonight is not if we are sent. The question is, are we going? You see, because there's a big difference between being sent and going. Tonight I want to look at three fields that Jesus sent us to. Number one, He sent us to the mission field. He sends us to the mission field. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19 says, Go! You know what that is? That's Him sending you. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The question is not if we're sent. The obligation of every Christian in the room tonight is find out where we're sent and find out how we're sent and then to perform what He's asked us to do. We are sent to the mission field. The book of Mark puts it like this. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See, you cannot dismiss uh, the fact that God wants you to preach no matter what your biases are, no matter what your prejudices are, no matter what your experiences are. God wants you to preach to every man. I like this morning in the Sunday school lesson how Peter tried to dismiss it. He tried wiggling it out. Lord, I, I, I can't do that which is uncommon. I cannot eat that which is uncommon. Lord, I, I, I cannot do that. I've never done that before. You know what the Lord says? Hey, Peter, I created it. Who are you to say what I'm asking you to do? There Cornelius was waiting on God to send his messenger. And I'm so glad Peter didn't just say, Lord, I'm going to stick right here because this is where I want to be. You know what God was trying to teach Peter? Peter, your old experiences of you being a Jew and the rest of the world being a step below you, your old prejudices, all of those things are abolished. Now I have ordained you to preach the gospel to not only the Jew, but unto the Gentile. 
That was a good Sunday school lesson this morning. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in, if you know the, the way the verse goes, both in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what the Bible says. And many people have tried to explain it this way. Oh, it's your state, it's your country, it's your continent, it's your world. Technically, it would be more like uh, our country, America, uh, then our continent, North America, and then it would be uh, 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 the, the world. It, it could really be better stated like this. We are to go to people just like us, a lot like us, kind of like us, and not like us at all. The lesson was not, oh, well, this is the systematic approach to reaching everyone. No, no. The lesson was, you are obligated in your mission field. And you are sent to your mission field. Oh, it's a very wise thing to reach home first. But I love the passion of these missionaries as now, I love Mrs. Files' emotion as she says, God has given me a love for the Thai people. You know what God's done? He's given her a heart for the uttermost part of the earth. Do we even have a, part for, a heart for those that are closest to us? Do we, we will never develop a heart for the stranger around the world unless we have a heart for those right near us. No man can love God unless he loves his brother. How can he love God having never seen God but not love his brother? You see, Scripture is plain. We are sent to our mission field. You say, Brother Andrew, I'm no missionary. Oh, that's, that's completely inaccurate. You are on a mission, a great commission given by our Savior. We are sent to the mission field. Secondly... We are sent to the battlefield. Take your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10. We are sent to the battlefield. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 16. I'll give you just a moment to get there. The Bible states, Matthew 10, verse 16... Behold, now if you're there, I want you to give me the next two words, okay? Behold, so this is very important and applicable to the sermon tonight, is it not? Behold, I send you forth as sheep. Well, that's not uncommon. The Lord compares us to sheep oftentimes, and it makes a lot of sense because I'm a rather uh, obstinate and sometimes ignorant human being. And I don't know if you find yourself in that same category. And I find myself very similar to sheep in many regards. But verse number 16 says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. You see, we are not only sent to the mission field, we're sent to the battlefield. 
Jesus knew it would be difficult, the task that He had given us. You're telling me that some of Jesus' final words on this earth was, I don't want you doing it in your own power. Tarry ye here in Jerusalem. Because if you head out on this great endeavor by yourself, you will fail, you will be depressed, you will be miserable. So here's what I need you to do, guys. I know you're excited that I'm here. I know you're excited that everything I've said was true. But tarry ye here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. You know why they needed power? So they could enter the battlefield. Jesus tried warning them beforehand, guys, this battle is not for the faint of heart. You cannot go at this thing on your own strength, on your own way. You have to be endued with power because I don't know if you've ever watched any wolves attack, but generally they're a pack animal. You ever feel outnumbered, Christian? Like there's a whole lot more outside these walls that aren't pulling the direction we're pulling than are inside these walls? Boy, I feel that way all the time. Jesus warned us. I send you as a sheep into the midst of wolves. Wolves are vicious animals. Boy, there is nothing scarier to me save a mountain lion in the mountains of Colorado when you just saw him than wolves. Wolves are a vicious animal. They're a pack animal. And despite this, this week there was an NFL player named Arian Foster. Now he's retired. Um, He was a a Pro Bowl running back for the Houston Texans. He actually went to play for Miami uh, Dolphins. And when I drafted him on my fantasy football team, he retired midseason. So I appreciate that. But, but nonetheless, Arian Foster this week decided to tweet out what his thoughts were if he were to get into a fight with a wolf. I wish I were making the following up. Arian Foster said, I think we think of wolves as these vicious aggressors Because of stories through the years. Now that was one tweet. You're only allowed 140 characters. If you don't know what 140 characters is or Twitter, just follow along the best you can. The second tweet was, I'm 230. Wolves are what? 180? 200? Tops? He has no thumbs. If I control his neck, he's donezo. Very high mountain of intellect Arian Foster is. He then goes on to say, after much agitation from many people, thumbs mean I can grab him. He can't grab me. All he has is a mouth. Grab his neck, he can't bite. He then went on to say, wolves don't scare me like that because... In my neighborhood was a bunch of loose, enraged pits. If he, if he alone, I think I can get him. Okay? Right? He summed it all up with this. Oh, it's tremendously intelligent. I've studied the wolf. Really? Is that why you estimated them at 200 pounds? They're nowhere close to that. I've studied the wolf. Notice... He can't read. 
I know his weaknesses. Plus, the thumb thing. If you have tremendously brilliant thoughts, I invite you to Twitter. It's full of other people with tremendously brilliant thoughts. Or at least they think so. Now, this in and of itself is is comical, but it did not end there. You see, because the International Wolf Center got involved. I wish I were making the following up. They began to compare real-world statistics with what Arian Foster had mentioned. They said in a press release... Weighing in at 230 pounds, Arian certainly would have the wolf beaten size. But that may not be to his advantage. North American gray wolves typically weigh a lot less, 65 to 130 pounds. And it is common that they are significantly smaller than their prey. That said, an experienced wolf can kill a half-ton bison or muskox all by itself although the wild wolves more typically are pack animals. They went on to say, to Arian's point, wolves do not have thumbs. (laughs) They kind of summed it all up with, nor do they need them. Wolves use incredible body features and strength to take down their prey. Their bite is intense and crippling. They crack the bones of their prey and have more power from muscles in their neck to take down and disable animals that can be five to ten times their size or more. This is where Arian's theory of being able to go after them by the neck would likely not work. Now, they did not conclude what the final results of the match were, but I think we can gather by their tone, Arian don't stand much chance. It's pretty foolish for a man to think that he could take on a wild wolf and be able to whip him. But even more foolish is the Christian who wants to forget or fail to realize they are in warfare. You see, Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, it's foolish to think that a sheep could ever take on a wolf. You're not doing it in your own strength. And may I remind you that it was not Job who protected himself. It was the hedge of protection put up around Job by God because of Job's righteousness. We are sent to the battlefield. John chapter 15, please take your Bibles there. John chapter 15. The Bible tells us with no uncertainty that we will be hated in this world. I've mentioned it time and time again from the pulpit. Even one of our Sunday school lessons so far this year has been about the fact that there is no such thing as a Christian that can get along with this world. We're in this world, but we are not of this world. The Bible says, no servant is greater than his master. Jesus was hated, we'll be hated. Jesus was persecuted, we will be persecuted. John chapter 15, though, gives us a tremendous glimpse at what Jesus meant by saying these types of things. 
The verse number 20 of John chapter 15 says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they had persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now realize, he's not talking about what the devil will do to you. He's talking about what men will do to you. And in fact, in John chapter, or or back in our original text in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, I send you forth as sheep into the midst of wolves. The very next word says, beware of men. Satan is a roaming, roaring lion. He's never referred to as a wolf. So we have to be on the lookout for men. Men is who will hate us. Men is who will uh, persecute us. Verse number 22, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. Now don't misunderstand that. He's not saying they had no sin until He came. He's saying they did not recognize their sin until He came. But now they have no cloak for their sin. They can't cover it up anymore. Righteousness came into this world. Now unrighteousness is more manifested than ever. When light came into the darkness, it sure illuminated a whole lot of filth is what he's saying. Verse number 23. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not uh, had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. Notice verse 25. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me. Say those next three words. Without a cause. The lesson is they're going to hate us just like they hated Jesus. And Jesus says, I treated everyone fairly. I I was gracious to everyone. I said nothing out of order. I was always kind. I was always truthful. And they hated me without a cause. You see, Christian, we're sent to the battlefield, and the battlefield is this. You may not offend people by your actions, but you will offend them with truth. They don't want their sin revealed. They don't want someone living a life more righteous than them. You know what they'll call you? Holier than thou or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. Those types of names. It's wolves attacking the sheep. The Bible tells us they had no calls to hate Jesus and yet they hated Him. Christian, we're in a battle. And every day there are men, wicked men, evil men that do not want the message of the gospel Uh, published or, or spread about, they want it silenced. He sends us to the mission field. He sends us to the battlefield. I wonder why God told Joshua in his dealings with people in three different places, the first time he ever spoke to Joshua, you know what God said? Be thou strong and of a good courage. You think it's because God knew Joshua was going to have to fight Jericho? You think it's because God knew some things were going to come up? Verse number 6, only be thou strong and of a good courage. Verse number 9, be thou strong and of a good courage. The Bible goes on to say in verse 18, God to Joshua, and be thou strong and of a good courage. Why did he tell him? Because God knew he would enter into war. He knew battles were on the front. How many noodle Christians do we have today? 
that are not willing to understand we are in spiritual warfare. And too many people are lining up against us and we just cower down at the calls. But maybe somebody like David will stand up and say, is there not a cause? That Philistine stands down in the valley saying that there's no God in Israel and he's defying the one true God, calling us dogs, calling us all these things. I'll go down and fight him if no one else will. King Saul, you sit on your throne doing nothing. Eliab, you sit there doing nothing. I will fight this great fight because it deserves to be fought. I wonder if there's a Christian tonight that will realize their call to the battlefield. He sent us to the mission field. He sent us to the battlefield. Finally, he sent us to the harvest field. Take your Bible to John chapter 4. Did you know that in your mission, where you're at, God wants you to be productive? And did you also know that your productivity is not wholly dependent upon you? You see, if a farmer cannot grow crops, you know what he is? A guy planting seeds. The definition of a farmer is someone who grows things. Being able to produce a harvest, God wants us to produce a harvest. God calls us, He sends us to go labor for Him, and I believe that our labor will have results. John chapter 4, verse number 35 The Bible says, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Skip down to verse number uh, 38. I sent you to reap. Now notice verse number 38. What, What does it say there? I sent you to reap. That whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. He says, guys, look around you. There's people everywhere that need to hear the gospel. I send you to go harvest. I send you to the reaping. I send you to go see people touched with the power of the gospel. God sent us to the harvest field. Psalm chapter 126 says this, He that goeth forth weepeth, bearing precious seed shall... Does anybody know the next word there? Doubtless come again with rejoicing, bearing his, uh, a seed with him. What, what it's saying is, you will doubtless come again. You know what I like is I like when the local church touches people and, and there's multiple people involved. You see, this morning at 8 a.m., there were a whole bunch of people that got in buses, cranked them up. It was pretty chilly this morning, wasn't it, Brother Jay? It's chilly out there right now. 8 a.m., there was a whole bunch of people that got in those buses, cranked them up. Thank the Lord they started, amen. There were days where that did not happen. All those people went out, picked up kids, boys and girls. And it's amazing when they bring those boys and girls in, and then they sit in my youth department, or they sit in children's church, and they hear the gospel. And through that, God uses the bus driver, the bus captain. He uses the runner. I used to be the runner on the bus. I mean, how many of y'all have ever been a runner on a bus where you go from the door to their door, back to the door? Traffic is dangerous out in the streets, man. Cleburne especially. 
You get a runner. You see, God uses everybody in the process. He uses the bus driver, the bus captain, the runner. He uses the people that direct the kids into the youth department or into the children's church. He uses the preacher in the children's church. He uses the person to counsel them after children's church. He uses all these many people in His harvest. You see, we're not obligated to do it all by ourselves. God, uh, or Paul said, uh, Apollos is planted and, and, and Paul uh, watered, but God gave the increase. It's not all up to you, but you have to be busy in the harvest field. You cannot set aside your obligation of labor. You cannot dismiss yourself from this harvest. Look, the fields are white already to harvest. Proverbs 11 verse 30, He that winneth souls is wise. Now this sermon's not very long tonight. In fact, we're almost done. But I want to tell you a story about my dog, Angus. See, I, we had a picture of Angus tonight. I'm not entirely sure why it's not on the screens. We're having some technical difficulties. Like, technically, JT isn't doing it. No, no I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not his fault. We've been doing a lot of work up there, and so it's no one's fault. But, but we, uh, my dog, Angus, is about as manly of a dog as you can ever imagine, okay? Call him Angus because he's a black lab. He's got shoulders on him, I don't know, like human equivalent would be like Clark Kent. But you know, after he gets out of the business suit and turns into Superman, like that's my dog Angus. He's so broad, so big. He's smart. He's a really good bird dog. Uh, When I first got Angus, man, he was incredible. I remember as a young dog, we got him at about two years old, when when, say, like ducks flew in and unexplicably landed on the water very violently, something, ha- I don't know what happened to them in that process, but something happened where they no longer were exist- existing or, or living after they flew into the pond that I was sitting on. But they were dead, I guess, is what you would call that. We harvested them, is what the term they use on the Outdoor Channel. These ducks would fly in and I'd shoot them. Well, probably the friends that I was with would shoot them because I'm not a very good shot. But either way, the duck falls. You know what I'd say? I'd say, Angus. Angus! Oh, it's, it, it's pretty invigorating when you, when you say it. You can't say, no, Angus. And did you know you can even say Frank, Martha, Betty, John, Louis, Luke, any of them? He won't go. But the second you say, Angus, boy, he leaps off of land into the water. I sat on a pond bank one morning, watched my dog break ice to get to the duck. Put one, sh- one elbow up on the ice and broke through the ice. The next, This dog is a studly animal, I'm just telling you. He's 90 pounds of pure muscle. He was living in our house for a while. Angus is a great dog. He was always very excited to go get ducks when, when say, they would come in and and, and they were harvested humanely. And uh, I'd send him, Angus! And he would jump in there and the water would explode. And, and he would go out and get them. And sometimes the ducks dive or they, they run away from Angus. Angus would dive with them. I watched a duck dive underwater and my dog disappeared. I thought the duck had drowned my 90-pound dog. <laughs> Only to see Angus come up with a duck in his mouth. And I'm just sitting there, get a load of that, boys. Angus is a studly dog. One morning, I remember hunting a a specific pond that we hunted pretty frequently. We had changed the setting up just because we had had a different wind that morning. And so we had never set where we set. 
And I, I knew something was not necessarily a good thing about where we're sitting, but I didn't think it was going to affect anything. There was a trot line very near where we were sitting. Now, many of you may not know what a trot line is, but if you can imagine a, a rope tied to, say, a, a tree or, or some other stationary object in a pond, and then maybe 20 feet or 30 feet or 40 feet away, that same rope is tied to another tree. And so it hangs in the water, and about every three feet or so, there's a, another line hanging off this, and there's hooks. And so you can go check a trot line and catch you know, 15, 20 fish at any given time because that's a trot line. There's multiple hooks on this thing. Well, a dog, a, a, a duck fell and without thinking, I said, Angus, because it's the best part of it, honestly. And I watched Angus explode into the water and the ripples. I mean, there's a rooster tail behind Angus. That's how awesome it is. But when he gets close to that trot line, something begins to happen. I see the line begin to move. And I watch it pull tight as Angus continues to swim, only to hear him say, well, I'm not going to do my impression, but only to squeal extremely loud. And, and I will say, this is how studly Angus is. He still went and got the duck and came back. Obviously, I was very worried about him. And so when he got on land, I looked at all around his body, and I noticed on his leg, I'd say about three inches of flesh was just missing. And so I was extremely worried about him. Um, it didn't seem to be bleeding all that much. I, I don't really know the medical terminology or any reason why it wouldn't be, but he, he seemed to be fine. Um, I, I don't think we hunted anymore. I didn't send him anymore that day. But it was odd, the next time we went hunting, the ducks came in and, and, and somebody shot some ducks. And it was weird because this time Angus did something he had never in his life done before. You know what he did? I said, Angus! And he stayed by my side. He didn't go. And, and I, I was honestly in disbelief because this dog was trained at a very high level. And, and so I, I kind of, in shock, in disbelief, said, all right. And I lined him up. And it's something you do. You, call, you say, Mark. And he looks down your hand, the direction you want him to go. And you say, Angus. And he stayed there. You know... I learned that Angus was no longer going where I sent him, notice this, because of previous bad experiences. You know, being sent has never been the same as going. And I just wonder if there's someone in the room tonight who many years ago was going, but stopped only because of bad experiences. Maybe it was too many unsuccessful trips. Maybe it was you could not actually see any impact being made. You know, I wonder if the guy ever knew Brother Files went to pastor the church he attended all those years. He just put that track on his door. Maybe it was somebody slammed a door in your face. Maybe you saw someone behind the door you didn't expect to see. And so you just kind of dismissed yourself from the harvest field that is what God has called us to. 
Maybe you've dismissed yourself from the battlefield that God has asked us to go to. Maybe you've dismissed yourself from the mission field because you say, Brother Andrew, I did this years ago. It's not the same time. It's not the same way it used to be. You know what you are? You're, you're staying because of bad experiences. All the while, God is calling your name, asking you to go. You know what I had to do after Angus stopped going? I had to find other means of getting my ducks. I had to throw rocks at ducks to make the ripples bring them to the shoreline. I've even used fishing poles to retrieve ducks. All the while, Angus is missing out on something that he loved to do years ago. It was his passion. It's what drove him. It was him. It defined him, was being a productive bird dog. Christian, are you missing out on the blessing of your mission field? Are you missing out of the blessing of your harvest field? You see, God is calling. In fact, you don't even have to say God's calling. God has already done called. He says, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Christian, being sent has never been the same as going. And I wonder if you are being sent or if you are going.